Hello everyone, I hope you are doing well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen and I want to welcome you to our Futurist Blue podcast, a place to discuss about Europe's economic and policy-related challenges. And this is a Funcas Europe and Agenda Publica initiative. And we hope we can bring in new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. So today we were joined by Christian Odendal, Chief Economist at the Center for European Reform. And Christian is joining us from Berlin. Hello, Christian. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. for Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And joining us from Madrid is uh, Raymond Torres, Funcas Europe Director. How are you, Raymond? Hello, good afternoon. Hello. Um, so we're here to talk about the vaccines. And, and looking back, who would have thought would be in 2021 counting vaccines so badly, right? We are expecting the vaccines to pretty much change everything, change everything for good, change the way we live now, change the way we interact with people, the way we work the way we used to do things, in fact. And, and we expect vaccines to have um, a big impact on the economy. And in fact, I'd like to ask you both about the impact on the economy. Is it justified to expect a very important impact on the European economy this year? So this year, hopefully, is going to be very different from last year because of the vaccines, because of the vaccines being widely distributed and, uh, and administered in uh, in Europe, uh, Christian. What's your what's your what are your thoughts on that? So of course, in the, the pace of the of the rollout is is um, slow in the eyes of many. Um, but I just want to say that you know, if the rollout had, would be faster now, um, things would not be much different. Because uh, just because a few parts of the population are vaccinated does not mean we can suddenly open up the economy and live like normally before. So we would still need to sort of lock down. And, and, and contain the spread of the virus. Um, but of course, going forward, um, the, the, the speed of the vaccination uh, makes all the difference because the sooner we reach sort of herd immunity thresholds, um, the sooner we can get back, to, get back to normal. And this, of course, affects the economy because many people, at least in the half of the income distribution currently, consume and spend less simply because there are no opportunities or not the opportunities they are used to uh, for spending that kind of money, such as travel or going to the restaurant or a concert and support. Thank you, Christian. So, so Raymond, this is about speed and speed is being a bit disappointed so far. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yes. Compared to initial plans, the speed uh, of the vaccination rollout has been, has been disappointing. This has three effects, three negative effects. Uh, of course, a direct effect because, of course, restrictions have to remain, will probably have to remain somewhat longer than, than first envisaged. Uh, and, and so probably we're going to see the first half of the year until the summer and possibly a little into the summer, um, you know, a situation characterized with a, a range of uh, restrictions, especially in particular uh, with respect to certain sectors like uh, hospitality and so on. The second negative effect has to do with uh, what Christian was mentioning before about people uh, oversaving and therefore not spending as much as would normally be the case. For example, in Spain, we are talking about uh, about 70 to 80 billion now of euro uh, of uh, over savings, if you want, surplus savings vis-à-vis -vis, uh, an a, a, a equilibrium situation. 
And so this also affects the economy. And the third negative impact has to do with mobility, of course, people move less. And, and so this has a disproportionate uh, effect, negative effect on, on tourism, and in particular, those countries that rely uh, on tourism the most in Southern Europe and so on, and not only in Czech Republic, also you have a lot of tourism. So the, the, this is really something which will weigh on the uh, economy negatively the first part of the year uh, until we reach a sufficient degree of vaccination and this starts to have to bite on economic behavior and therefore afterwards we can envisage the uh, recovery that was planned much earlier this year. So the commission keeps promising that by the summer uh, we're going to achieve 70% of the adult population vaccinated in Europe. So if that happens, we will still have six months of this year, more or less, where uh, a majority of Europeans could have a, a normal life. I mean, could, could, could spend more, could, could travel maybe, could, uh, could do other stuff that would have an impact on the economy. So, so Christian, what is your... What what are what are your forecasts for the last six months of 2021? Do you see a big difference? So if the um, plans of the of the European Commission and the national governments really come to pass, and until the summer we've reached herd immunity, this is the point in time uh, where we would probably see a very sizable economic rebound, because all this forced saving that has happened uh, um, during the last year and will happen in, uh, until the summer, at least some of that will try to find an outlet and, um, and be spent. Um, and this will, of course, encourage people to, you know, spend even more and um, jobs being created and so forth. So I'm, I'm not that worried about sort of this first bit of the recovery. If we get the vaccine rolled out right and if the mutations, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I don't know how dangerous they are. Um, but if the vaccines really keep the pandemic under control, I think then we will see a sizable economic rebound. Uh, a rebound in traveling, a rebound in going to restaurants, all this sort of social consumption uh, that has been suppressed um, since the pandemic started. My worry is a bit more the time after, because then after this sort of battle spending over, the question is whether we will return to this sort of end of 2019 issues that we have. We still had low inflation, low interest rates and so forth, or whether sort of the recovery fund um, is actually quite well-timed then because all this spending from the EU recovery fund comes online probably exactly about that time uh, where, the, where the economy may, may need another push. So my hope is that this, and this is the optimistic scenario, obviously, right? But this, this would be the ideal sequence, right? Have a rebound in economic activity on the back of the vaccines, which probably will last for maybe half a year or almost a year. And then uh, have the recovery fund spending sort of make sure that this recovery continues for, for another couple of years. So, uh, Raymond, there are some positive synergies we could expect between the, the vaccination and the recovery funds. And hopefully if we, we combine both uh, elements, the economy, uh, the European economy could look in much better shape at the end of this year. Is that right? Yes, I, I completely agree that uh, we could have, in a way, uh, two positive shots. One uh, uh, coming from the vaccination rollout and together with it, uh, you have all these confidence effects and mobility effects and so on. And the other from uh, the stimulus measures, the fiscal stimulus uh, funded from Europe and, and, and more generally from, from governments. So these two in a situation of very low interest rates with ECB continuing 
continuing to play a supportive role is, is, is going to be positive. That said, I want to emphasize uh, three particular risks uh, in this scenario, which I think is the most likely. But before we, we reach the summer, and this could well be into the summer, the, the positive elements we are talking about, uh, first of all, we need to survive until the summer. And the, there are many enterprises which are, are on the verge of insolvency. Until, until now, uh, they could be sustained through various ways, for example, um, you know, uh, credit guarantees and so on, mechanisms so that they can uh, get credit and guaranteed by the state and in, on very favorable conditions. But now they are over indebted already. And so there has to be, I mean, policy makers have to do something to some bridge policies until we reach the summer or the uh, re rebound period. And that's going to be tough because it's not easy to devise mechanisms of this kind. I understand Germany is doing something, France, Spain, there is a plan now, uh, which has been discussed. The second is a risk of um, an asymmetric impact across uh, European countries uh, because the shock has been very asymmetric as such. And the fact that policy space is different uh, among you know those countries that have you know much more fiscal space than the other countries. So we have to see and ensure that we don't have a kind of delinkage um, of certain countries vis-a-vis -vis, you know, the best performing ones or those that were less affected. The third uh, risk has to do with the social impacts, of course, because not all groups are affected uh, equally. And so these three require all three, actually, uh, some policy action, no waiting uh, until the rebound is here. All right, looking, looking at other countries in particular, if we, if we see what's happening in the UK and if we see what's happening in the uh, in the US, they are um, they are they are doing better. They started before, but they seem to to be doing better in terms of the number of vaccines that they are being able to um, to, uh, to 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 um, administer in the population. So the data is at this point today, for instance. Out of a hundred people, uh, they've uh, they've done fifteen point seven in the UK, and in the US, that the numbers are ten ten point two. And if we see other European countries, you know, the best performer is Denmark with four point nine out of a hundred. So, what what is your view on this on this rhythm? I mean, there's there's been different explanations of 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 this slow rhythm. And differences in European countries, but but for sure there's something else apart from the fact that the EU started after uh, to to, uh, to to this rollout plan. Uh, so what is the, what is the main explanation here, so that we are we are behind? Christian, do you have any any views on this? So you know the, the UK um, has a has a different rollout uh, scheme as far as I understand. So they are focusing on the first vaccination and uh, and not the second dose. Um, and so they're spreading, uh, they're, they're widening the gap between the first and the second dose to be able to vaccinate more people. Um, there is a scientific debate on whether that is good or not, uh, to, on which I cannot comment, but this is sort of why, why the UK is ahead and, and it started early, um, a couple of weeks earlier. And, uh, and the third reason is um, the, the, the amount of vaccine supplies that they are getting from, from AstraZeneca. And the U.S. is the same. I don't know how the rollout is working uh, on, on the ground, uh, but the vaccine supply is higher there. Um, but economically speaking, one of the reasons why the IMF has recently upgraded the U.S. Um, is, in, is, in, is exactly because the speed of vaccination is faster, but also because uh, President Biden rolled out another big stimulus plan. 
um, and there I, I fully agree was um, that that we have to make sure that the period until the summer and until this sort of economic rebound happens, that we make sure that we economically survive. And the, and the, the problems mentioned are are exactly the right ones. Right? That we don't have economic divergence in Europe. Um, and that we have that all countries have the fiscal space to address this and also address this in an equitable way. And this is where I think European policymakers still need to put a bit of thought into um, because the recovery fund was the first step, but that was in the, in the spring. And now we realize that this pandemic will continue until the summer um, and, and there, may, there may be more needed from, from governments to support the economy. So we need to talk about sort of fiscal policy in, in, in Europe, when and how we reapply fiscal rules so to, to make sure that our countries have the available space that they need um, to, to, to uh, make sure their economies survive properly until the summer. Uh, Raymond, in fact, you've, you've, you've written about this, uh, the, the, the comparison between the US, the, Europe. The US seems to be doing better dealing with this economic crisis and now uh, we see that they are they are doing quite quite well in terms of, of of doing this rollout of the vaccines so why do you think the us is managing the crisis it seems better than we are doing in the eu yes from the point of view of the uh, of the economy of economic policies i think the size of the package of the us package is uh, is, an, is a key issue and uh, uh, it, it plays a role, a direct role, in the in, as an impact on the economy once it will be fully developed. Plus, uh, a role in terms of uh, shaping expectations. I think that's very important. We need to change expectations, which are a bit gloomy, or have been a bit gloomy in Europe. And 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 the announcement as such of uh, of uh, the fiscal package is important. Just uh, as a comparison, uh, I, I looked at the numbers again this morning, and the the size of the U.S. package as is being presented and discussed in the U.S. by the new administration um, is more than twice as much as uh, the size of the uh, EU package for a given year, for, for, for the year 2021. That would be my, my estimate. So at least twice as much of the stimulus uh, implemented in the United States. And so, of course, that, 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 that will make, uh, certainly make a, a difference. Uh, and so that, and, and I think that's why it's very important to remain flexible and reactive. And especially if the expectations are revised, as seems to be the case, that we are talking about a delayed recovery, so not happening in, at least in the first half of the year. I hope that um, we go back to the policy discussion of what to do and we don't wait. And so that said, the Europeans, I mean, I, I don't want to, to be too negative in, in, in that comparison between the US and Europe, because one of the things that has worked in Europe is um, employment or unemployment contention measures, these uh, jo job sharing schemes or Kurzarbeit in Germany, Erte in Spain, Chomage Partiel in France, the Casa Integration in Italy. These schemes have helped uh, at least alleviate the impact of, of the crisis on employment and therefore in a way you could say the, the employment automatic stabilizer has worked better in europe than in, in the us where we saw at some point increases in, in unemployment rates reaching almost 14 percent whereas for the eu as a whole we had at the end of last year a little over eight percent so uh, the, we have some good elements but they need to be reinforced in view and revised in view of the deteriorating uh, economic scenario so I think, Christian, you mentioned before the recovery fund. Um, it seemed so impressive, the numbers back in the spring, seven, 750 billion euros. Um, 
but this was this was you know under the assumption that this crisis would be over sooner. Um, is it time now to reconsider the size of this package, or 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 is is it the right size no matter how long we're going to be fighting with this uh, virus? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think we were all surprised on the upside because we didn't expect the Europeans to put together sort of the the political will to summon the political will for such a huge package, uh, which in size, which entails sizable transfers from the from the stronger to the weaker countries. Um, politically, realistically, probably this is sort of as much as we can expect. Um, and of course, the longer the pandemic lasts, the the larger is sort of the risk of economic divergence in Europe. So we need to really think about how we can make sure that this, if the pandemic now lasts longer than we than we expected, or this divergence is more severe, how we can make sure that um, that, that we find other ways to contain it. And I think the fiscal policy of national governments is one of those main issues, um, because we have fiscal rules in our rule book that would mean that would uh, prescribe a pretty drastic uh, fiscal tightening going forward. Um, and the more fiscal breathing space we give countries to be able to address um, the, the pandemic now, um, I think that that would be that would be advantageous. Um, so this is one of the one of the key debates we need to be having right now. Um, the second is, of course, the, the, the speed of the, of the implementation of the recovery fund. Um, there was always going to be a trade-off between spending the money well and spending it quickly, right? Because the, the quicker you try to spend that, mon- that amount of money, uh, the more waste you will, you will generate. Um, but considering that, that, um, that the, the recovery um, from this pandemic may peter out relatively quickly in 2022, if that's the case, then we need to make sure that the spending really is online and comes online and is, is, is supporting the economy then. So basically what I'm saying is we need to make sure that from this point on now until you know, 2023, 2024, you know, the whole path of the recovery, the maintaining of economic stability now and then the recovery after, um, that fiscal policy at the national level is geared towards making sure that this is as smooth a process as possible. And this is where we need to have a lot more debates, I think. So it's it's time to change the the fiscal rules for the the, the post pandemic, hopefully post pandemic uh, Europe. Raymond, do you agree with that? Yes, certainly. I mean, we have we have to revise those rules, and and I would say, I mean, that in any case, uh, for for this year and next year, we're talking about, I mean, it's it's a false dilemma to say that we you know we we have to be cautious with the spending because then we can kind of ensure that we, our deficits, the public deficits do not increase too much. I think in a way, doing too little today may save some funding, but actually at the cost of perhaps higher debt in the future, paradoxically. So uh, because, of course, if we have a, a cascade of bankruptcies of enterprises and so on, and therefore shrinking a shrinking productive base, this will affect revenues in the future. And so, I mean, uh, I think it's it's very important to I think as Christian said also to 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 be in view of that perhaps be flexible with the European funds and maybe you can front load uh, some of those uh, in the in the years where we need them the most um, and so use whatever flexibility is available plus of course the national governments can do something about it I would add also that it's important whatever spending is done that is uh, we're talking about. And spending to respond and, and, and focused and targeted on, on uh, solving the crisis and, and recovering from the crisis um, and not recurrent spending because if it's a current spending it could 
uh, it could raise problems later on. But I would say if we uh, are, uh, you know, we, we manage to ensure good quality spending and uh, target it on the problems we're facing today, I'm confident that this will be the kind of uh, a good deficit and good public deficit in the sense that it will help retard the economy and avoid problems further down the road, including financial problems. Because remember that uh, if, if there are bankruptcies, then of course there will be holes in the accounts of uh, the financial system, the banks, which could create uh, um, uh, further problems and possibly even a financial crisis. So we're talking about something which is pretty fundamental now and um, about the about the fiscal policy, and of course, it leads to prompt your your point, Carlos, that uh, at some point we have to revise, of course, the fiscal rules. It's important that we have some uh, rules uh, because we share common currency; they will have we have common rules. But clearly, the rules, um, you know, have not worked uh, as such, and so we need to revise them. I wonder wh where Germany will stand in that debate, and and I'm, I'm saying this because I'm gonna. Let's take advantage of the fact that Christian is joining us today. He's following German politics more than we do, for sure. And and this year Germany is 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 living. Uh, in the autumn, she will not run for the elections. Um, and this is this this is this is such a a big event for for Germany and for Europe as well. And I and if I may, Christian, what I I don't I I'm, I'm sure this is a, for a longer debate. But what are the, the, the main implications for the European policy from Germany uh, the moment um, Merkel is not in office and there's a successor? So any thoughts on that? So the most experienced European leader leaving the political stage always has implications regardless of whether it's the German or not. Um, so I think th this is her standing was, was in a way um, unique because um, she governed the longest, had a lot of experience was a sort of calm consensus finder and most importantly had a very large and consistent and very strong power base back home on which she could operate right and this is one of the things which any future chancellor would um, would have to build at first right so imagine sort of a a weaker cdu leader governing in a cdu green coalition um he or she may not be able to um um, to, for example, agree to such a bold initiative like the European Recovery Fund, uh, which was very much Merkel pushing that through in the conservative parts of the European political spectrum. Um, so in terms of crisis management, I think Merkel's uh, disappearance will be, will, be a, will be a loss. But in terms of policy, I'm not so sure because um, she has done really well in sort of m moving the conservative party in Germany somewhat to the center to make sure that the CDU stays in power. Um, but she has not really, you know, she's not had a, um, a longer term strategy, a goal, sort of a, a idea of the future. It's more sort of carefully and very um, sophisticatedly managing the status quo. And it seems to me that after this crisis, we need some fresher ideas on where to go with Europe in terms of its geopolitical position, in terms of its economic policy. Fiscal rules are just part of that. And this is where I, I, at least the optimist in me thinks, well, maybe it's a good thing that Germany has to have this debate now because we are electing not just um, a new parliament, but we will definitely have a new, new leader at the helm. 
Um, and this is an opportunity for Germany to, to consider some of those um, some of those issues because we are a sort of status quo people and we had a status quo chancellor. But now the status quo chancellor is gone and we, we need to find a sort of a way to debating some of the more fundamental issues and not be too comfortable with the status quo we are in. Um, and this is where I think the Greens um, have somewhat something to offer because they have been in opposition for quite a while. They have sort of amassed lots of intellectual capital and ideas and they will go into the coalition negotiations after the election, probably with the CDU at this point, um, on, based on current polling, um, with, with, with a sort of bold European agenda. And I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident that they will, they will sort of push harder for the European ideas than the Social Democrats did in the past. So, you know, long story short, the September elections in Germany are really a sort of an opportunity for Europe uh, to reconsider some of, the, some, of the, some of the issues we've been dis discussing and also others. Thank you. Raymond, before we close, any thoughts on uh, a, a post-Merkel uh, Europe? Yes, well, I, um, I will not add much about Germany as such, only to say that it seems to me that uh, in Germany as well as in uh, other, other EU countries, I think there is uh, probably now realization that uh, uh, it's extremely important that uh, the EU uh, we act as a as a single as a as a block, and we we don't leave countries to their own devices. I think uh, probably awareness of this comes from the the pandemic itself, of course. That uh, uh, clearly we we need much more common action. Even though, of course, this, this vaccination this very low slow vaccination start is is, is of course uh, a bit of a blow to this approach. But nevertheless, clearly. I mean, there is realization that we need to, and we managed to have, after all, this investment fund and this next uh, generation use. And the pandemics is one of the elements. I think um, the EU has managed to maintain a, a, a relatively kind of coherent approach vis-à-vis -vis Brexit, and it has played a certain role in, in the negotiations. And I think more fundamentally, there is, and I think I think there is awareness now that the uh, geopolitics have changed and. Uh, the uh, approach of China, the approach of the United States, uh, even though Biden is very different in tone, but in practice we have to see, requires that Europe finds its own way and uh, simply we cannot uh, leave it to each country in isolation to uh, kind of find the, the right responses of this very big number, you know, the two main economies in the world. And only if we uh, in key areas, in strategic areas like in technology, trade, and I think fiscal policy is one of the elements. Uh, if we manage to uh, act together, will we, we be able to shape the future uh, and, and, and get out of the, not only get out of the pandemic, but actually transform our own economic, economies? Yes, so Europe needs to find its own way. And I, I, I like to think that in, in Future is Blue, we, we, we contribute with ideas to that, to that process so that that process takes shape. Um, I want to thank both of you uh, for joining us today. Christian Odendal, Chief Economist at the Center for European Reform. Thank you. Uh, thanks Cheers. a lot. Stay well. And Ra Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe Director. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Bye. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers to talk about Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe and Agenda Publica initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and the production of this podcast is carried out by Franco de Ledone. Thank you all.